Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, episode number 109, where my guest on the show is Jim Saliba. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Jim before we dive into this interview. Jim is a certified coach, trainer, and public speaker, and he has over 30 years of experience in the leadership world. Now, on the podcast, I love to bring in leaders who are not just in that educational space, but also in other leadership spaces. I tell everybody that will listen, this podcast is about great leadership, and great leadership happens in so many different ways. Great leadership is great leadership, whether it happens in the business world, the education world, the nonprofit world, public service world, and so forth. And so Jim is a great example here. Jim is a guy who began as a software engineer, became a manager in the IT industry, and eventually the vice president of a $4 billion tech company. Jim's a guy who's been in the trenches. He's conquered a lot of the challenges that we face. He's got a growth mindset. And I love how he talks about creating atmospheres where employees feel encouraged to experiment and ultimately are rewarded for their hard work. You'll hear Jim say it during the show, but I'll go ahead and go right at it right now. I love that Jim talks about mistakes are not seen as failure, but rather they should be seen as learning opportunities to make changes and improve. Jim and I sat down recently and had a fantastic conversation about his new book, The Six-Step Leadership Challenge. We talked about four quadrants of leadership. We talked about some of the things, those challenges, those, those struggles that leaders can face. And Jim shared some tips on how you can move past those. There's so much great stuff in this interview, and you're going to catch all of it right after this. Leaders, your educators deserve to have a leader who believes in them, who supports them, and who lifts them up when they're down. Right now, they deserve that reminder that they are traveling their own road to awesome. On that road to awesome, we focus on the things we can control and we let go of the things we can't. On that road to awesome, we rise by lifting others, not by pushing each other down. And on that road to awesome, we change the world one conversation at a time. Leaders, I want to work with your schools. I want to work with you and your educators to lift them up, to honor the work they do, and to let them know they are not in this alone. Let's get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's get your teachers back on that road to awesome, to find that love, to find that clarity, and to walk in their purpose. Reach out to us at roadtoawesome.net for your opportunity to bring Road to Awesome to your school. So as many of you on uh, that listen to the podcast regularly know, when I was a first-year building principal, um, to say I struggled would be, would be kind. And certainly, I think there were those, those deeply embedded fears that I was not necessarily willing to face, or even for that matter, probably couldn't even identify or even label them. Um, 
overcoming those fears, overcoming all those different challenges certainly made a difference in my career as a leadership coach. That's something I want to try and help other leaders do. And my guest on the show today, Jim Saliva, is very much right in that wheelhouse too. We're, we're going to talk about common fears that occur for leaders. We're going to talk about his book, The Six-Step Leadership Challenge. We're going to talk about planning. We're going to talk about just being the most effective leader you can possibly be. But before we do that, Jim, welcome into the show. Thanks for joining me on Leaning Into Leadership. Oh, thank you for having me today. It is such a beautiful day here in San Jose, and I am ready to be on your show. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, you know, we're uh, th this episode's probably going to land sometime in uh, maybe late November, early December. Uh, but as we record, we're just getting the fall weather, and it feels great. It's uh, same thing here in Omaha. We've got some nice. Nice fall weather, one of my favorite favorite seasons. So, uh, Jim, before we dive in and start to talk about all the things that that I just shared, for those who uh, you know who are listening in that maybe don't know who you are, just just share a little bit about who Jim Saliba is, what you do, you know, kind of where your expertise lies. Sure, um, I started in my career as, as in tech, a programmer grew through being a VP in a large $4 billion software company. It was very interesting. I really enjoyed it. I, I loved science and math, and, and this really just took me through that. But as I started working years in large corporate organizations, I started seeing how people work together, how things happen has to happen with people. Um, so around 2009, I uh, left that world a bit, went out on my own to do consulting to help people, especially software organizations, do change because we're constantly changing. I mean, if you want to talk about change, when was the last time you saw a Nokia phone? Right? Change happens all the time. <laughs> Man, I used to be a big Nokia fan too. I really was. I, I know, right? I mean, they were the phone for a while. But things change because we don't stay with, with things that happen in our world. So I was helping companies do that. And what I started realizing is that we were focusing way too much on the, what I would call the boots on the ground. In my case, the engineers. And there was really a big gap between what leadership thought was happening and what was really happening in the day-to-day. -day. So that's what started me to focus on leadership and the problems that happened there. And we'll probably talk about it, but often we move up in, in our career based on our technical skills, not on our leadership skills, and we start having a mismatch there. And that's why those fears you were talking about come in. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I, I appreciate that you say that because uh, so often, um, it's certainly it happens in the education space and I know it happens uh, in the private sector as well. We do just that. We rise because of success in a previous role, but that doesn't necessarily predict success in the next role. You know, it's it's so often it's and I'll use education as uh, uh, as an example, since that's that's where my roots are might be a fantastic classroom teacher, but 
you know, delivering quality instruction, ensuring quality learning is happening in your classroom, managing students in your classroom is very different than leading adults, you know, mm. creating, you know, that compelling vision, working the day to day and everything that goes in between there. Right. Um, and yeah, for me, that's where, that's where those fears started to come out, you know, like, um, okay, I, Hey, I was, you know, I, I think I did a pretty good job as a classroom teacher. I was, I think I was a pretty good, you know, pretty good head coach. Um, some of those skills transfer, but not all of them. And, and even going no. from like assistant principal to principal or principal to superintendent, again, different set of skills. And I'm sure that that's the same thing in the corporate ladder, uh, moving from those, those entry level positions into C-suite positions. It's interesting that you talk about education because I talk about education, the broader sense, even corporate training, that we train and we teach so much about the technical skills, how to do a job, how to teach or how to program. The leadership skills or what HR still calls soft skills aren't really taught very much. And I, th I think that's a big mistake. I call them core skills because without these skills, companies don't work. And we see a lot of dysfunction in many organizations because of this. And the fears, I, I have what I call my four fears of leadership, they cause dysfunctions because of our fears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's very much the same thing uh, in the education space. Um, and, and leaders end up, you know, in, in roles and then they don't get the support around how do you grow as a leader? Right. I mean, that's mm -hmm. honestly, that's what, that's why you exist in your space. That's why I exist in my space because, um, you know, when, when I stepped into being an assistant principal, principal, and even as a superintendent, there was not training specific around how to lead people. Even honestly, Jim, going through a master's program, and I mean, I have a doctorate in educational leadership. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of how to lead people. It's like you say, it's really hitting that technical skill. And those things are important beyond the shadow of a doubt. But in leadership, right. you're in the people business. And if you don't know how to lead people, all the technical skill in the world doesn't matter, right? That's right. Because what, the higher you move up, the less of those technical skills you need because you're depending on that with your people, not so much yourself. So yes, I love how you put it. You're in the people business. And without those, what I call core skills, it, you get stuck at a level. You can't move up. I see that in the corporate world around the level of a director before becoming a VP is where a lot of people get stuck in their career because they're trying to figure out that leadership. And according to a bunch of reports that I've seen, people don't get leadership training until 10 years into their leadership career. That's probably by then I either, right. yeah, by then I either gave up or right. I figured or it out, out on my right. own. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, just like, yeah, just, just kind of having this, this conversation leading us in that, in that direction makes me think about moving from, 
you know, first from be, from that classroom teacher role into being an assistant principal. And I think having a, I guess, a complete lack of understanding of what really went into stepping into that role. Um, you know, again, staying in that in that space, I'll say that, you know, quite often classroom teachers will say, well, you know, what is that principal even doing? Or what's that AP even doing? Or, you know, I would do it this way. And then when you step into the role, and I think this has got to be true in the business space as well, when you step into that role, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I had no idea. Um, you know, and, and just jumping up to the principal role, um, and this this is going to lead us into the four fears. I'm, I'm going to throw the first one right over the center of the plate for you. I might even put it on a tee. Um, I really thought I was prepared. You know, I'd been the assistant principal in that building for five years. You know, I'd done multiple different things and stepped into this new role, and all of a sudden there were these pieces that, I didn't understand things I didn't know. And you very much fall into that imposter syndrome piece, which I know is the mm. first of your four fears. So I'm setting it on a tee for you, man. Let's let's go after imposter syndrome. It's one of my favorite topics. Um, but they, my, my guests have heard me talk about it. Or, or rather, my, my listeners have heard me talk about it. I want, I want to hear your take on imposter syndrome. Sure. So, so I have these four fears. Uh, the first one is the fear of incompetence, which we often call imposter syndrome, right? It's stepping into that role and it's you, you question yourself, well, why am I here? Is it because I know yeah. what's going on? Because I don't feel like I know what's going on. Was I just yeah. lucky? You know, these, so all the what ifs start running through your head. But as I was saying before, this is not just about you. When you have these that fear, your way of making decisions become very delayed. Am I making the right decision? Aren't I making the right decision? Maybe I should talk to some other people. Maybe I need more data. So what starts to happen is you build a culture of uncertainty of all the people below you. So in my world, if we're running projects, what starts to happen is that, nope, let's put that on hold. Let's put this one on plate. Let's work on this now, right, while we're waiting for this decision. Oh, wait a minute, put that one on hold. We have to go back to the first one. So you have this whiplash and a culture of uncertainty that's going on that builds a lot of waste. My second fear is the fear of appearing foolish, right? This comes from the need of security. You know, we talk about uh, fear of missing out and things like that. This is where that comes from. But what happens in there is often a resistance to change because we fear that, that thing. So you end up with a culture of conformity. So all that innovation and creativity that we talk about gets suppressed and we start following, just following the rules, which is a whole other issue which we could talk about because yeah. not that I'm a rule breaker, but I want to know the spirit of the rule because so many people will follow the letter of the law, which ends up breaking the spirit of the rule sometimes. So right. it, it's really understanding that. So that builds conformity. 
The third one is the fear of failure. And we probably all felt this. You talk about education. It might have started because we didn't get that high grade in the report card. But it begins to build up and fester in my type of organization as avoiding making decisions. I'll push the decision upward to the leaders or out to another group or division so that if it doesn't work, I have a place to put the blame. So what starts to happen is you build a culture of finger pointing, a culture of blame. I don't make a decision. I just follow whatever decision my leader says. And if it doesn't work, it's their fault. It's their problem, not mine. I did what I was supposed to do. It also stops collaboration. It does what I call cooperation instead of collaboration. I do what you said. I throw it over the wall. My piece is done but we're not going working towards shared outcomes. The last one is what I call fear of appearing vulnerable. And we probably felt this at some point in time. If you feel like you're going into a meeting and you have to wear a facade, a virtual suit of armor, or you have to act completely different in the workplace than you can at home, you can't bring your authenticity. This also builds a culture of mistrust because you're acting. So how are they going to trust you? So these fears not only change the way we act, it really changes the way your whole organization acts around you because of that. Hey, friends, we'll get back to the show in just a second. But first, it's time for a pep talk. I was in a school earlier this week. And one of the school leaders asked me a question, and it was such a good question, I just have to share it with you. We were talking about teacher evaluation, and he was sharing with me a struggle that he has, one that honestly I did too, when working with veteran, really talented teachers. His question was, how do I give feedback of quality that can help them improve when they're already such a great teacher. Let's be honest. If you evaluate teachers, you've been in this position and you struggle to find the right thing to say. So here's the answer. Don't say anything. Ask. Just be curious. Ask good questions about what they're doing in the classroom. Ask about the strategies that they chose to use and why they chose to use them. Not in a way that's judging, but rather because you're curious. Maybe share with them some feedback of, hey, when you did this, I noticed your students did that. Was that what you were hoping they would do? Maybe ask them about, what if the lesson didn't go well? What if it had gone off the rails? What was your plan? The more we ask questions, the more engaging those conversations become. Don't fall into the trap, leaders. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to always have something to help them grow. That something could just simply be a good question. So, in the words of Ted Lasso, 
be curious. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I think that's the most powerful piece of that is those fears, while yes, they're reflected inward, their impact is so outward. And, you know, as somebody who really focuses heavily on organizational culture and climate, I I really appreciate that you go right at those, uh, the impact on the culture that each of those have. Um, You know, certainly uh, the one that just kept resonating with me, all four of them really, really strong, really powerful. But when, when we fall into the second one, you shared that fear of appearing foolish and Mm. we, we protect or we, you know, we kind of like, play it safe. Um, to mm-hmm. me, this is, and, and I, I love how you've talked about um, it being kind of a culture of conformity. To me, it's also very much that culture of compliance too. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've worked in systems where it may not necessarily be the, the, the fear of, of appearing foolish, but it is that fear of risk taking because perhaps that leader above you, I, I want to get your take on this, that leader above you may be the person who is focused solely on compliance and, and actually the use of punishment, the, the threat of job security in order to gain that compliance. And, and to me, this is why this resonated with so much with me. To me, when we have that happen, when we have those cultures of conformity, those cultures of compliance, there is zero risk-taking. There is zero innovation. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there's zero progress or even regression that maybe slowly er- erodes away uh, the organization. Maybe it happens more rapidly. Um, with, without seeding this and actually without even really a question in mind here, I just want to get your, your take on how that... Um, that, that culture of, or that fear of, of appearing foolish can lead to that type of a culture? Well, it, I see it happen all the time. When you have maybe a sh- small startup company, they're bold. We're going into this. We have a brand new idea. And we start putting things out into the marketplace. And let's say it takes and we start growing. Well, now I need more people. So my world, here we are in Silicon Valley. I need more people. Well, where do I start getting them from? From much larger organizations, which bring in the, the, the rules and the paperwork and that flexibility and adaptability we used to have starts to go away. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because we still need that balance to make things happen. But it went away to now performing to the metrics. I need to make this much money this year over next year. I need to get this much marketplace this year over last year. And that fear of the failure starts to come in there. If I'm not making the numbers, why aren't I making the numbers? But the whole thing goes against the grain of being a human. Going back to education, when we were young in elementary school, we learned by absorbing. We just brought it in. But as adults, that doesn't happen anymore. We're more experiential. We learn by doing. 
We learn by seeing what's working and what's not working. So if we can't fail, we can't really learn. And how many quotes have you seen out there that talk about we learn more from our failures than we do our successes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yet we're not allowing people to fail. And that becomes back to leadership because leaders need to find a way to get their people to fail but have a soft landing. I'm not saying that we should spend million dollars into projects for a marketplace that we think exists and we find out later it doesn't. But how do we make little experiments as we go along to test our hypothesis to make sure that we are going in the right direction? So we talk about agile and agile software development in my world. And one of the things we talk about is fail fast. And the concept of fail fast is doing iterations, small iterations, and saying, finding a fail that's going to fail early. Ah, uh, this isn't right. So now you do what we call pivot or persevere. Ah, uh, it worked. Maybe not quite as much as we wanted, so we make a little adjustment, we keep on going. Or it's like, no, this isn't going to work at all. I am so glad we found out now. But now I, it affords me the ability to make decisions early and try other things. And that is I think so today, perfect. Yep. Today in how fast is our world moving compared to 10 years ago? And then 10 years before that, if we don't work this way, we're going to become the next Nokia phone. Ooh. Wow. In the speaker space, they call that a callback. You just threw it back <laughs> to the Nokia. I love it. And I, I got to be honest with you. I mean, what, what, what you're talking about there, uh, again, you know, my roots in the education space that to me is what we need to be able to do and should be doing, and in many cases are, in our classrooms where teachers are trying different instructional strategies, different methodologies for students to learn and fail fast. Hey, if it doesn't work, quit doing it. Try something different or, you know, so pivot or persevere, you know, okay, let's move in a different direction or okay, this can continue to get better. I just need some outside feedback. I just need some support. You know, maybe it's an instructional coach. Maybe it's my mm -hmm. administrator. Maybe it's my peer next door. Hey, here's what I'm working on. I just want to continue to grow this particular space. So um, whether that's in the business space or, or in, in the education space or anywhere else, that that cycle of, you know, fail fast, pivot, and persevere very much is like, you know, that, that PDSA, plan, do, study, act, um, how do you how do you learn from something in small doses so that you can continue to to grow? I love it. That's super, super amazing stuff. Let's do this. Let's pivot to since we're talking about pivot um, and we won't <laughs> need to persevere on this one. This, this is going to be a fun pivot. Let's pivot to the book, The Six-Step Leadership Challenge, because there's a couple of pieces in there that I want to make sure we get to. And I think they tie in with what, what we just uh, were talking about with the four fears and, and ways that, uh, you know, that we are able to you know, experiment and learn and grow and make sure that we have the culture uh, in our organization going the right direction. 
you talked about um, in the book, I know you talk about four quadrants of leadership. You talk about uh, kind of a 30, 60, 90 planning cycle. Um, let's let's start with just kind of the, the root behind putting a book together. Uh, you know, here uh, um, at, at Road to Awesome, in, in addition to my speaking and, um, and consulting, we, we also happen to be a publisher. I mean, ours, ours is books by educators for educators, but but still, what, I'm going somewhere with this. Trust me. Um, I'm always <laughs> curious why you know what was the the driving factor behind. I want to do this book. So so tell me a little bit about why putting the 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 six step leadership challenge book together, and then let's talk about the book. Let's let's get into the elements. Um. Well, I always wanted to write a book how many people have you known that said that and and i had a few attempts and failed but as i was coaching more and more about leadership i was putting together my ideas of how a leader starts to change and develop my two key concepts is self-awareness and self-development Right. If you go and look on the internet on top leadership skills, you'll find all kinds of things, communication, blah, blah, blah. But without these two things, self-awareness and self-development, none of those things happen. And when I looked at leadership books out there, and I have a ton of books that I read all the time, um, they bring new theories and new thoughts and sometimes revive old ones with a new look to it. But I didn't think many of them talked about how to bring this together. What's my process to become aware, self-aware, and to self-develop? So that's the concept I wanted to bring out. And and there it is. I didn't I I can't tell you how many times I wrote and rewrote it over and over again. <laughs> oh yeah. Until I was in, in a group of people of authors writing books and someone used the word challenge and that all of a sudden changed for me and I said, "Oh, what if I make this a challenge?" And that's how I ended up with the the title, The Six Step Leadership Challenge. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I I'm over here grinning ear to ear, listening to you talk about having you know, you know, different versions, and you know, you kept starting. And I probably you know when when my first book was released, it probably I don't know fifteen or twenty start stop versions of that book. Hmm. And then yeah, somebody said something to me a little bit different space. I mean, it was uh, it was you know, hey, you need to tell your stories. And once that was like, oh wow, I get it. And then it just boom, it just started flowing. You know, and so the lesson there, folks, if you're wanting to write a book is persevere, don't pivot, persevere, mm-hmm. stick with it. Eventually you're going to mm-hmm. get that, that spark that, that puts you over the top. So, so yeah, so let, let, let's, let's talk about this book. I mean, it's, uh, there's so many great pieces there and I agree with you. There's a lot of great leadership books. We could probably compare leadership book uh, shelves and we probably have a lot of the same ones that are fantastic, but it, for me, when when I go when I go diving into a new leadership book, it's not about completely reframe the way I think about leadership, but can I come away with something like you know one mm-hmm. thing that can help sharpen my leadership game? And you know, with your book, 
four quadrants of leadership, I think is just a really key piece. Uh, I, I need those things that I can kind of compartmentalize or, or look at these different elements. So let's talk about these, these four quadrants of leadership. Sure. So what, what I did was this, um, I started off in the book talking about our mindset, the four fears, and these start building self-limiting stories, self-sabotaging stories. So I kind of took the word of story and moved that forward and created a framework with I call LEAD, L-E-A-D. The first quadrant or the first part that starts with L is to lean into your story. What is your vision for the future and how do you create a strategy, not a plan, but a high level strategy to move towards that vision? So that's the first quadrant. Second one, of course, starts with E to empower that story. Well, you have to execute, you have to learn so how do you learn through executing? And that's how I bring that whole concept of experimenting constantly. And that companies who experiment often are the ones that are going to be moving into the future. So I bring that concept in there. I, I say you have to experiment like a fifth grader, because when I was in fifth grade, we had to do the science fair experiment, <laughs> and we take our poster board, and we put the hypothesis on top, the, the method, the experiment, and then we have to prove or disprove that hypothesis. So for me, it's the same thing. We think that if we bring this product to market, we're going to make some money off of it. Well, what is the smallest, cheapest, fastest thing that could prove or disprove that hypothesis, or at least part of it, enough to move forward. So working that way, executing and learning at the same time. The third quadrant we move into is to amplify that story. It takes people. And when we are in the people business, as you said, there's some components that we have to think about, and that is the culture that we're building. Is it the right culture or are we building a culture of conformity and compliance and things that we don't want? The other side of that is the, um, that we've been talking about for a long time and empathy, right? How's that side? Are we working with our people? And then there is processes because processes is how our people engage or interface into work that we want to get done. Have we built processes five years ago that benefited then, that we're not getting much benefit now? So we look about those things. The last quadrant is starts with the letter D, is to make our story more durable. To make it durable, you have to think about your executive presence and how you lead. And I divide that into five pieces. Your identity, who you are to yourself. Presentation. Identification, then presentation. How do I present myself to other people? What do they think about us? The proof is, Darren, when you're not in the room, what do we say about you? It's about yeah. your reputation. The third one is communication. We have two ears and one mouth. We should be working in that priority. Part of leadership is listening. And what are we hearing? 
Are we hearing that we, our culture isn't the way we want? Are we hearing new things that we should follow up? Then there is the affiliation. Who are the people we affiliate with? Our network. Upward, downward, across, in our organization, outside of our organization. Who are the people that fill our sails? And who are the people that anchor us? And that anchoring could be positive or negative, right? And then the last one is action. How do we take all this and deliver results that we want to deliver as a leader? So those are my four quadrants, leaning into your story, empowering it, amplifying it, and giving it durability. Love it, man. I really do. It's just, it's, there's some really, real powerful stuff in there and uh, definitely some stuff that I know um, is going to be of value to anybody who grabs a copy of this. Folks, we'll make sure we have that book hyperlinked in the show notes for you. Go in there, check that out, and make sure you grab a copy of that. So, Jim, I want to talk about this um, for just a moment. And then, of course, I'm going to ask the same question I ask everybody uh, at the end of the show here mm -hmm. in just a minute. But be before we get to that, I want to ask um, just just real quickly, because I know it's something you have uh, brand new that is coming out by the time this episode lands. It's going to be live. Um, and, and that is this this masterclass that you have created that connects very much to your work with the book. Talk a little bit about the masterclass and what is it that that somebody who jumps into this masterclass is going to take away? OK, so I took the book. Sometimes it's hard to take something from the book and make it reality. So I wanted to give people a way to do that. Because I think this is very powerful to get from our fears and moving forward to understanding the things we want to grow and put it into a plan, an actual plan. So I built a masterclass. Um, it is recorded. I, it's it editing right now, but it comes with a whole set of worksheets to do retrospectives on yourself, understand who you are, what your shortcomings are, your strengths, your weaknesses, to go into the, well, what are the things I need to work on in my four quadrants to move me to the leader that I want to be through the actually doing it. And every 30 days, understanding, looking at it, what do I need to change in my next set of my 30, 60, 90 plan that's in the book. So it, it has a short video about um, some a little longer, shorter, but an average of 10 minutes on each chapter and a set of PDFs to go along with it to help move you along. Outstanding. Uh, well, again, that, that'll be another thing that we add to our show notes. Uh, so it's hyperlinked there for you to go and check that out. That's, uh, that's outstanding. I, I love how you've taken that, uh, all that amazing information in the book and then, and then made it something that people can actually do something with as opposed to just, just reading, digesting, and okay, now what? That's, that's a really powerful piece. Um, so, so let's do this. Um, the, the show is the Leaning Into Leadership podcast um, on every episode. Uh, I asked my guests how they are leaning into leadership. So, Jim, you get to be the one on the hot seat. Um, how mm. are you leaning into leadership right now? I would say 
Today is an example. I left big corporate to do this on my own, to give back to the community and the, and the industry that made me successful. I make a lot less money than I used to, but I am enjoying talking to leaders, coaching leaders every single day. It is amazing when I see that virtual light bulb go over their head and I know that they got it. And not only does it change that person's life as a leader, it changed the lives of all the people that are on under that leader and their families and that's why I say my mission is to change or transform the world of work one conversation at a time. Love it so much. That's actually one of the three core tenets of Road to Awesome. Um, that, uh, and I say this about educators, but you know what? Those and what you're doing right now, you you have become an educator that we change the world one conversation at a time. That is outstanding stuff. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining me here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Folks, we'll put all of Jim's uh, contact information, all of those other things hyperlinked in the show notes. Um, once again, Jim, thank you so much for joining me on Leaning Into Leadership. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Once again, a big thank you to Jim Saliba for joining me here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Folks, make sure you check out all of his information there in the show notes. Reach out and get connected with Jim. You truly will enjoy having a conversation with Jim. Join me next week on the show when my guest will be Dr. Brian Perlman. Until then, have a road to awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.